0: last Sunday and um, you uh, thought that it was going to end. We couldn't do it all. We couldn't finish it because of the uh, first part was just too much to hang in there on the the Word of God. You remember we, we talked about final words and we talked about the Word of God is the final authority, that God's Word is the final authority. No matter what, Anybody else tells you if they cannot line it up with the Scripture and it does not apply in the correct way that Scripture teaches us, then their authority of what they say is false. It can't be true. It has to line up with the authority of God's Word. Even words and visions and even dreams or anything like that that we look at, even in these Scriptures, we must know that we've got to line it up. Even if God's doing something with you and you feel that He's teaching you something and sharing something with you, it must go together with Scripture. It can't be contrary to His Scripture because He's given us this book in order to guide us. It's not a book like a a book where you're putting a shelf together or an entertainment center or something like that. It's not a book like that that just kind of gives you parts and pieces and do it that way. But this is a book that's a lively book. A lot of those preachers of old used to call it a lively book, a book that was something that had application in every generation that it was read in. It's a book that has a life that kind of comes out of it and we see these things. It's not just a a novel to be read and just go, oh, that was a great story or, or the story about Samson was wonderful or the story about David and Goliath was wonderful and that, remember last Sunday we talked about we've not followed Cunningly devised fables or fairy tales, so to say, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he told us to write these things down. And we learned that the Bible says they were moved by the Holy Ghost of God. And we talked about last Sunday why it was so much and we couldn't finish because it was uh the faithfulness of God's words, what we spoke about first. We talked about how God's word is faithful and true. And then we understand. And the blessings of God's Word is not okay if it says that if I give, that He will outgive me in my giving. So if I give ten, God will give me a hundred dollars. Or if I give a hundred dollars, God will give me a thousand dollars. That's not the blessings of the Word of God. And the blessings of the Word of God are not just knowing what the Word says, but it's actually when you put it into action and when you do it then you're blessed by putting it into action. It's the same way that a coach designs a play for, for the sports team, the basketball football baseball whatever you want and the the girls softball everything about it the reason that that coach designs a play is so that if you follow the design of that play you follow the the fundamentals of that play what is it you're blessed by scoring or you're blessed by reaping from that and that's what the word of god i'm not trying to bring the word of god down to any kind of playbook by the way i'm just trying to show you that this book is something that if we read it that's great but if we do it that's where we get the blessings from and then we talked about the correction of God's word, how you correct us with the word of God and sometimes people don't like correction but we ought to be people that go, thank you Lord for your chastisement. Thank you Lord for your correction. Thank you Lord for showing me when I'm wrong and showing me in such a way, Lord, that you call me not to just understand that I'm wrong but you call me to repentance and then you give me the truth of what is right. Amen? And then the last thing we talked about is the accessibility of God's word. I told you that if we're having a test, we have open book tests. He says don't seal the Words of this book up, like he told Daniel to seal the words of the book up because it wasn't time yet. He said, "Do not seal the book or the words of this book because the time is at hand." Right, and now we come into this part. The Bible says there's something else final that's going to take place. The final words that he gives. We talked about his final authority, but look at this one. The second thing, or the first thing today, is that there's a final destination. There's a final destination, and when we talk about that, we we. We really kind of covered some of this back in chapter number 19 and uh, and uh, chapter number 20 when the book was opened, the great uh, white throne judgment, all of these things that were taking place. But this one here kind of just sets it in stone, kind of just puts it right in there with us. You know, Brother brother Brandon was talking about a while ago, said that it takes all the women of the church to raise the Barnes family. and said something about the preacher's kids and stuff. And I, I have truth. I can tell you why the preacher's kids are so bad. It's because they hang out with the deacons children children and um so you get the truth on that looking at this so that's where we kind of end up you know because they have to hang out with everybody but look at what it says we're in revelation chapter 22 this morning if you got your bible say amen. amen all right i want you to look at verse number 11 we'll begin there it says he that is unjust let him be unjust still and he which is filthy let him be filthy still and he that is righteous let him be righteous still and he that is holy let him be holy still and behold or and behold I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life. They can have access to the tree of life. And that they may enter in through the gates into the city. For without the city are dogs and sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters. And look at these words. And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. He says, even those that create the lie make the lie, and even those that love the lie and share it with other people. He said all of these things. But I want you to look with me at the very beginning. We're talking about something that that everyone asks this question. What's the most famous question? I don't guess it's really famous, but it's the most asked question of all time, it's not. You would think it would be this. It's not this. But where's the bathroom? That would be. That'd be a really good first question to ask anywhere you go. It's not that. All right. Um, if you learn Spanish, uh, you know, ¿qué baño? All right. But, but or what is the bathroom? But where's it at? If you think about it, the number one question that's asked. Even Brody talked about it this morning in his testimony, and I didn't expect Brody's testimony when it came on this morning in the first service. I was sitting there, or actually as they were getting ready, and I heard him talking, and I was like, oh, this is going to be really, really good. Because uh, Brody, uh, being in church since I've known him since he's been, <laughs> been here, and uh, two, three, four years ago we did an Easter drama, and I got the Barnes kids to to do all of the acting out. And they were backstage and was cutting up and acting goofy and stuff, and I looked at him and I said, I asked you guys to do this, him and his sisters. I asked y'all to do this because I thought that y'all could... Compose yourself and that you wouldn't act crazy and act goofy and all that stuff. And I was like, I you all do this, let's focus together. And Brody and his voice back then said, Well, you were wrong, Brother Steve. <laughs> and so when he came on this morning, I was wrong. And uh, when he came on this morning, I thought, Oh, it's gonna be great. And uh, if you heard him, he asked this question, or he was asking this question. Uh, the most famous or most asked question is, What happens when we die? That's the most famous or the most asked question is that we're brought in, and at some time or another, we don't know what exactly what age it happens, but at some time or another, we move into, okay, we're here. All right, we understand maybe even how we got here. We're, we're alive, but what happens when we die? And in the simple testimony of a young guy, 12 years old this morning, he said, we were riding down the road after daycare, and he said, and I saw a dead cat. And that caused him, in that simplicity, it caused him to do what? To ask where they go. Well, I, you know, I'll share with you what the, my theology is. It's not biblical. But if, if the world says all dogs go to heaven, all cats go. Or, okay, anyway. But anyway. <laughs> That's all the cat lovers out there. Um, but if you think about it, it really struck me. And some of you were listening to Brody like I was this morning. A- and Brody was going... The word of God's really helped me in some difficult times. And it's gotten me through a lot of things. And then he said, "And I don't know where I would be without the church and stuff. And I don't know if some of you are going, this guy can only be like 10 or 12 years old. What What has he endured? You know what I mean? What has he gone through that's been so bad that he says, if it wasn't for the Word of God, I don't know where I would be. And I'm like, he sounds like a 30- or 40-year-old drug addict, you know? Like, what was he talking about? And some of you are tempted to do that, but I've always told everybody, you know how puppy love, you know, when they're growing up and they they like this girl or they like this guy and all that stuff, and everybody goes, oh, it's just puppy love, it's just puppy love. But you got to understand, it's still real to the puppy. And whatever he was going through in his life, At the age of 9, 10, 11, or all the way up to 12 now, it was very real and evident for him. Although it may not be what you as a 60-year-old have gone through in trials or tribulation to the 12-year-old, it was still just as real and just as hurtful, and the Word of God still did what? It's a lively book. It still helped him as much as even what you and I have gone through that may have gone through something that may be bigger. And so you look at that. Isn't it amazing that God brings us into this world with grace and mercy, fearfully and wonderfully created within our mother's womb. And we come to this place sometimes where we ask this question, what happens after? I mean, if we continue to see that everybody's on this path to where we reach certain ages and our bodies are decaying and they're, they're going you know, downhill and stuff, and we eventually get to this place where it stops, what happens after that? Even scholars and theologians and and great people have asked that question. And some of them still don't have the answers. But the word of God gives us an answer. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. It says, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Now stop for a moment and look at that scripture. He that is unjust let him be unjust still. And the filthy, let them be filthy still. But then in the second portion of that scripture, it says, he that is righteous, let him remain righteous, or let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him remain holy, or remain and be holy still. It's one of these things where you look what happens after we die. Well, what we die in, the condition, the state, not talking about hearts and lungs and kidneys and all of this other stuff, but what I'm talking about is that when we die in a condemned, state of being a sinner of unjust and in filthiness then we remain that way because it is a final destination it is not a temporary destination where you can get out of it pray out of it pay out of it it is a final destination and i want you to look at those words stop and look at those words it says unjust and filthy when you look at those two words, you'll come to this conclusion that unjust means that someone must have known truth and now they're not walking in the justice of that truth or the understanding of that truth, but now they are moving over or walking in what? The unjust. In other words, they've chosen not to walk in that. So it's something that literally they've brought upon themselves. It's something that they have done to their own selves because they're walking in an unjust manner. Okay, How many of you when you were growing up and you were doing something maybe acting goofy and being goofy and acting silly or something like that and mom and dad looked at you and they said stop acting that way or even if you had parents where as you grow with them you actually know their mannerisms and you can get the the two snapper anybody know what the two snapper is two snapper brings the three stepper. You know what I'm talking about? Two snaps, and if you don't stop three steps, I'm over there, all right? And so, but if you think about it, it's walking in that unjust way. Stop and think about what he says right there, Brother Bill. It says, he that's filthy, let him be filthy still, <laughs> Right? Do you remember the days, and I told him this morning, it was fun. Do you remember the days, guys, and I, I can only relate to guy things. I can't relate to you ladies and, and talk to you about playing with Barbie dolls, because I didn't play with Barbie dolls, okay, all right? But I played with the bargain town green army men where you could buy like 500 of them for like two or three dollars you know what i mean and you could lose them you know and it was like okay but you didn't want to lose them at dark and in the house because you didn't want to step on those or legos ever in the middle of the night but you would go out man mom would buy me a bag of those things how many of you guys remember when, when we were younger and you would go to the store and you'd buy it. And you'd, you could also buy a set of cowboys. It had horses and fences. You remember that, Craig? It had horses and fences and you could do all this stuff. You would hit the woods. It was like, go home, tear that bag. That bag could like hold anything. It was so thick, right? You could tear that bag open and you would save the bag. I would save the bag because I would dig a hole and I would put the bag in the hole and put water in the hole because we had to have some water for the horses. And look, we had to have some places to cross for the army, men. And we would go outside and we would play. And uh, mom, if you never got to play by the creek, we had Self Creek by us. We had all this stuff. We could play around. And it was always, before you left the house, do not get in the water. Do not get in the water. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm telling you, you better not come back here with mud and dirt all over you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all are looking like y'all didn't have parents like I had. All right. And and I would always go. We played beside the creek, right beside it. I mean you had to have the creek. You're here in the water, you get the rocks out of the creek in order to build the forts for the for the army men, you know, and stuff and to keep the Indians from coming in and killing all the cowboys, right? You did all of this stuff. I know we're very sensitive today. We don't talk about stuff like that anymore, but that was the way it was when I was growing up. And man, it was so fun. I always come back filthy and wet every single time because my friend pushed me in the water every time I went he didn't y'all y'all are looking like my mom like she didn't believe me when i said that either but uh, every single time. She would say, you are nasty. And I would go, but we were playing, we were playing. She's like, you did this. And it's true. And if you look at that, the one that is unjust is someone that chooses not to walk in truth. The one that is filthy is one that has chosen to go out and to waller in the filth or to get into the creek and to get into the mud. It's stuff in those first two phrases there, or those first two sentences. It's stuff that's actually we've chosen to do. And if you've chosen to live unjust and you've chosen to live filthy in sin then god says when you die in that state you will be that way forever but the second thing look at those two other things in that second portion it says let him that is righteous let him be righteous still he that is holy let him be holy still do you know what that is that's nothing that you can do it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. There is none that doeth good. The Bible says that David said these words, our righteousness is as filthy rags. If you could account for all of the days of your life, every good thing that you did, everything that you did good for your mom and dad when they told you, you know, didn't have to ask you to do it. You cleaned your room. You made them breakfast. You did all of this stuff. You could account all of those days up, and if we could accumulate them and pile them into a big pile right here, and you are to stand before God on all of those things that you and I have done good throughout all of our lives, giving to the poor, serving in the soup lines, doing all of these things, going to church, giving to the church, helping people out, being there at Warrior Day, going and doing all of this stuff, helping and serve projects. You could account all of those things together, and you pile them up. you know what David says about it? you know what the Word of God says about it? That it would be nothing more, Brother Reggie, than a filthy rag. Because why? You cannot produce righteousness apart from the righteous Holy Spirit of God that dwells and lives within you. And then you can't be holy unless you have Christ that's in you working that holiness through you. So the Bible says, let those that have chosen, if you stop and look at this, let those that have chosen to live on their own, they will live on their own still. But those who have chosen to live in Christ will be in Christ still. You can't take it away. The Bible says that all of those that live that way will remain that way. It's going to be a permanent thing. That's one of life's most asked questions is, what happens when I die? One of life's biggest statements is this, and people still don't listen to it. Life is short. You look at yourself as a 10, 12, 16-year-old, 18-year-old, you think that you've got everything wrapped up. You've got the old tiger by the tail, so to say. You've got everything done. You're, a, you're an 18-year-old. You're, you're 20 years old, 21 years old. You're 25 years old. You've done all of these things. And listen, you are being told by some of the people older than you, don't go down that road. Don't do that. It will lead to destruction. Or don't do this. And they're constantly not trying to stop you from having fun. They are trying to warn you because life, they say, is short. Now some of you are convinced in here that you've got more life than me right now. Some of you, especially younger than me, maybe not older than me, but some of you younger than me, you're convinced right now by society in the way kind of all the, as the world turns, so to say, that you have more time than I have. You have more life than I have. Because you look at me and you say, you, you, you are a little overweight, Brother Steve, and maybe you've got some you know, problems and you have diabetes and all of this stuff, so I'm probably going to outlive you and you think that, but I have just as, uh, just as the same amount of grace breathing in, and exhaling out as you do. Life is short. Life goes like this. <laughs> the other day, some friends of mine put—they were here in this morning service—and they put a picture of themselves, a selfie. And they were. Uh, this was before we even knew what the word meant, selfie. We, we, we took that, back in the 80s when you heard the word selfie, you thought that that meant you were all by yourself, selfie, right? Um, but they took a picture. In the days where you had to have the camera and the film, you had to have it processed and you had to have it all done and you had to send it away. And it was even before the one-hour photo places. You know what I'm talking about? It was a thing where they had that key. I don't know I don't how many pictures they had to take of themselves, but as they were looking up and the grass was behind them. Selfies today, there are, and I'm talking about, there are young people selfies and there are old people's selfies too. You know what I mean? The young people's selfies, or they got their the duck mouth and all that the older people's selfies usually have a thumb or a finger within the selfie somewhere you know and you're like what in the world we were at six flags yesterday and people were standing in the lines and it was constantly i'm telling you you were like you move up please you know move up please because people are going <laughs> i almost grabbed the young girl's camera and went My own self, I wanted to, so bad. And it's like we're so full of all of this stuff to where we're constantly bringing it all in on us. Look at what Jesus said. He says in verse number 12, he says, Behold, I come quickly. Wow, it's fast. Those old pictures that kind of took a long time to process. How many of you remember those cameras when they came out with it? It was probably the best thing ever. It was instant camera film. You know what I mean? You didn't have to wait. You could actually see the bad picture right then. You know, it would come out, and it was like a tongue that would come out of that camera. like And and the people would stand around like this, fanning them, blowing on them. You know what I mean? And you, as a kid, you thought... That's magic, you know? It was like it was nothing, and now it's that. And then your grandmother would get a big old Sharpie out and would write on there everything y'all did that day, the food that y'all ate, who went to the bathroom, what year it was, everything about it. And you put them in scrapbooks now. And now most of that generation, most of them, are fading out or are already gone. Why? Because life is short. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. And that could be he could return quickly now as he will, or it could be that we're going to him quicker and quicker and quicker because the Bible says, James says, life is like a vapor. It appears for a moment, and then it vanishes away. But I want you to hear this. According to verse number 11, where it says, let him that's unjust be unjust still, him that's uh, um, filthy let him be filthy still, all of that, these, these destinations are forever and they're final. There, there is no getting out of them. At this point in the book of Revelation, we have, we have covered thousands of years where we have gone, if you sin, repent. If you sin, repent. If you sin, come to Christ. If you sin, come to the Lord. If you sin, then they would bring their lamb. If you sin in the New Testament, then you have the lamb of God that was slain for our sins. If you sin, if you sin, if you sin, if you sin we get all the way over there. And it's over and over and over. And now we come to this place where he says, the one that has died that's unjust, let him be unjust still. The one that has died and that is filthy, forever their destination will remain the same. The one that is righteous and the one that is holy will all remain the same. The destinations are final. If you look at this second portion today, not only is the destinations final, but as we look in verse number 16, there's a final witness that Jesus gives us. Jesus is giving us a witness. Now, when I talk about this, I don't mean that there's someone called to the stand to say some kind of account, but Jesus is saying the final witness is this. Look at verse number 16. He said, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This witness that we're talking about, this final witness, it's not the witness of John. According to verse number 16, it's the witness of Jesus. The witness is from Jesus Christ. He says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. He said, I, Jesus, am the one that is giving you these things. This book is none other than about and from Jesus Christ to each and every one of us. And if you stop and think about it, and don't misunderstand me, this book, these words, these doctrines, these teachings, all of this truth that's in here, it's given to the churches. It says that He sent his angel to testify these things unto the churches. And if you look, he does does say unto those seven churches of Revelation, but the word there, angel, in the book, Brother Joshua, it is the word anglios, that it means messenger. He said, I have sent my messenger. He said, I, Jesus testify of these things, but I sent my messenger to speak these things unto you. I sent my angel to testify unto you these things unto the churches. And what is he doing? He's given us, like I said last Sunday, he's given us the book, an open book test. But yet we refuse to open the book and even look at it when we're going through the times of testing and through the times of trials. But the Bible says Jesus gave us this word. We look at it and we think, well, maybe Moses gave us these words because the first five books are from the hand of Moses, the Torah. But it isn't the words of Moses. It doesn't point to Moses. It points to the one who will come. From the book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it's the very first time we hear about the prophecy of Jesus Christ coming to this earth and to be slain for all of us. It's the first time we hear, but it isn't the last time. It's full of all of it. We go through Ecclesiastes and understand that it says that the Spirit is from God, amen? And it says that when we die, the spirit will, the body will go to the earth, but the Spirit will turn to the Lord who gave it. We read about that a living dog is better than a dead lion in the book of Ecclesiastes. We read in the book of Proverbs that it says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We read in the book of Psalms that with every breath we have, we should pray. Praise the Lord. We read also in the book of Jeremiah that there is none like unto thee, O God. We read in the book of Isaiah that anybody that thirsts, let them come and drink of this water. That if anybody is hungry or anybody needs wine and milk, let them come and buy without price. We read all of those words. But every single thing that we read about Joshua in the Old Testament. We, un- we want to understand about Joshua and try to get all of that in. And Moses and Joshua and how that team kind of played together and you see Moses was a, 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 a typology of the law and then Joshua a typology of grace and salvation Moses could only lead the children of Israel so far that Joshua led them all the way into the promised land the Old Testament word Joshua or Yeshua is the actual Hebrew word is the New Testament word for Joshua or Jesus which is the word we get English from which is Jesus the word means that Jehovah is salvation in the Old Testament which means Jesus is salvation in the New Testament. When you read that, every word that we have in this book is the witness and testimony of Jesus. It's not about Ruth, but man, there's a story about Ruth in there that actually shows us more about having a greater kinsman redeemer than Ruth had. Amen? It's not about Rahab the harlot, but it's about a person who was living a lifestyle who was known as Rahab the harlot in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, she found her way, Sister Kathy. Kathy eked into Hebrews chapter number 11, the hall of faith, and it talks about that that woman, Rahab, by faith, hid the spies and she honored God. What a book we have. It doesn't point to us. It all points to Jesus. And everything in there <clears throat> says that it is the witness of Jesus. You know what? <clears throat> we should spend more time as a church in the Word. More. Don't, don't take me wrong, and I know Brandon won't take me wrong on this, but we should spend more time in the Word, even more than singing. When we sing, <clears throat> it should be Words that come out of the word of God. <clears throat> when we praise him, it should be because we've understood the word of God and it comes out. See, what happens is, <clears throat> is modern things, we've called it praise and worship music. And I like to say, and don't I'm not splitting hairs, I told you I'm bald, I can't split hairs. But I think that's getting the cart before the horse sometimes. Because looking through all of scripture, it is worship that brings out our praise it is not our praise that brings out worship brother brandon can't come up here and begin to praise god and then that calls worship brother brandon in a heart and attitude of worship comes up here and reflects what's going on on the inside of him in worshiping of the lord jesus christ and it comes outwardly in a manner of praise amen when we understand a song, when we get a hold of those songs and we're playing the piano and stuff, and we're playing the guitar and doing those things, it comes out of the heart and then it comes forth. Even the Bible says that Jesus says that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <clears throat> so when we come in an attitude of worship, when the church comes to worship the Lord in truth and in faithfulness and in righteousness, then the praise Comes out of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? The praise is this, clapping. Sometimes the praise sometimes is lifting your hands. The praise sometimes is weeping, and you're just thankful for what he did. The praise sometimes is a whoo. You know, it may be a shout or something at one time or another. But it all comes from out of worship. Comes out of that. That's why who's the guy that wrote the um, uh, the song? Is it Michael W. Smith? I think it was that wrote the song. I can't remember. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. <laughs> Matt, Redman, with Matt Redman, it's good to have song directors and people up here, right? Matt, Re- Matt Redman, and, and the reason that he wrote that song is because he started noticing a trend in his life, if I'm not uh, mistaken, he noticed a trend in his life is that everywhere he was going, that there was this performance that was always being done. And he remembers a simple time where it was just sitting at a piano or sitting at a guitar or just listening and just thinking about the Lord, worshiping Him from the Word of God, and then it would cause something to bubble up inside of him and then it would come out. And then he noticed the change that it was moving and it was that he was trying to get people excited about God and get people motivated about God. And he wrote the words that says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry for the thing that I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And see, that's what happens to us. You know who we were when we, once, when we first got saved? We were the blind man that Jesus healed. We were the blind man. Every single miracle in the New Testament by the hand of Jesus Christ, every single one of them point to salvation It teaches us something about salvation. When when the leper were healed, our sins are washed away. When the lame are walking, we were dead in our trespasses of sin. When the dead were raised, we were dead in our sins. And now salvation has brought us out. We were blinded by the God of this world. But because of that, listen, now we can see every single miracle points to the salvation of Jesus Christ. And in that blind man, when he was healed, do you remember the Pharisees and the scribes, the people of the religious building, they wanted to know what happened, what he do tell us about the story and you know what the blind man said much like what you and i used to say he said these words all i know is that i once was blind but now i can see last Monday I shared that with the association I said in evangelism we need to get back to the simplicity of it all stop trying to figure out how to lure everybody together stop pouring honey in the seats at the church hoping that people can't move because they're stuck to the seats and just get back to sharing what you know is true that you once were lost but now you're found you were once blind but now you see I used to be this person and now I'm this person and stop trying to doctrinate it up and make it theologically sound and all that just know that this is what he did for me that's what the blind men knew the bible says that the witness comes from jesus and when the church spends more time in the word of god which is the witness of jesus and we spend time with jesus in prayer then something else takes place the wooing of the church it comes from the church you say what is wooing it's what the person that you are married to now used to do I made everybody mad this morning, and I feel that y'all should not be any different. You remember the letters that he used to write you? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Focus. You look up here. They used to write you letters. Used to say all kinds of sweet things and all of that. When they used to pick you up, they used to go, you look so pretty. You are the most prettiest guy I've ever seen. Uh, you look nice, or you smell good, and all that, and now it's like, good grief, where have you been? I've had the car cranked up for like a 30 minutes, right? Listen, I know that some of y'all have experienced this this morning, and that's okay, we're going to get right with Jesus. <laughs> wooing, <laughs> wooing is defined as trying to gain the love of someone, especially when you're talking about in marriage. It's trying to gain the love of someone. And... <laughs> I don't know if all of you guys, it looks like it to me, but uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. But uh, all of you were just about as ugly as you are now. And and like when I was young, the same way, and you saw the pretty girl, the wooing was you did whatever, whatever. If she dropped something, you picked it up, right? I mean, and and you complimented on everything, you know. (laughs) It's so hard to preach with Patty back there looking at me. Does this outfit make me look big? I played the fifth. I'm not saying anything on that at all, right? Because the answer obviously is no when you're standing beside me. <laughs> you always look little when you're beside me. <clears throat> so just stay close. The wooing means that you, you love someone so much that you, you woo them over. And here's, here's a problem is that a lot of wooing goes on, and, and I'm going to just confess it all, by men. And they, they're they trying, and it's like when they finally get there, it's done. Do not amen that. Do not comment on that. But even in the same way where you're going after this girl, oh, I'll go to church with you, I'll go to church with you, and then all of a sudden you get married and you don't even go to church with them anymore. Why would you do that? Because you were in love with her, you were not in love with the church, you were in love with Jesus, and so you were wooing her. And you got a hold of that. And I know that that hurts. It's tough sometimes. You stop to think about it. But wooing should be from the church. Look at what the Bible says in the next verse. It says, The Spirit and the Bride say come. I understand totally, 100% in that verse. Where it says there, Sister Rhonda, The Spirit says come. I understand it because when I was lost... And I could feel that conviction of the Spirit. I knew it wasn't the preacher. There was something going on inside of me, and I knew it wasn't going on in the four chambered heart. But I knew something was happening internally. And I, I mean, it was just, man, it was just conviction. And and I know now that it was. Man, I had parents that were going to church every Sunday. Was praying, God, please save him. Lord, please show him the way. I knew I had friends doing the same thing that I was in high school with and stuff. I understand the Spirit saying, "Come," but look what the Bible says. It says, but the bride also says, "Come." The bride should be a wooing. Church. And I know this sounds corny to you, and I put it on my notes, but the bride has moved from being a wooing church to a booing church. To where we just boo everything. Everything's bad. Nothing's good. Listen, I want to show you an illustration. <clears throat> Somebody comes along and says, finds out that you're an Auburn football fan or an Alabama football fan. They pray for you if you're an Auburn fan um, or an Ole Miss fan. Uh, they're here. And, uh, but they find out you're a basketball fan or a baseball fan, and they go, you know what? I got season tickets, and I'm going to give you tickets to the biggest game of the year. And you go, I love you. You know, you're like, wow, awesome. As a matter of fact, I've got four tickets for you to go. And you go to the game, and there you are. You get to go in, and, man, you're happy. You're like, "Whoo! I'm going to the game, and, and this is going to be this big game. It's the biggest game of the year. We're going in, all that stuff. And you're sitting down with the kids, and you're going, look at, look at the band, kids. There's the band and all this stuff. And you're going, good grief. Could these seats be further away? These seats are so far away. I mean, my God, is that guy got a tuba, or what, he have, what is that, a spoon? Well, I can't see anything. And, and the wife says, hey, kids are, kids are thirsty. You're going to go up there and get them something to drink? Yeah, I'll be back. I'll go get some drink. We'll go get a Coke. You go over there, and you're going to get a Coke. And you say, I- I'll take three Cokes. And they say, okay, um, that'd be $47.60. And you go, look, I want a drink. I don't want an investment in Coke. I just want a Coke to drink, right? And they go, it's $47.60. You're like... Good, not you. Know, and you whoop out the cash, and they go, "I'm oh, sorry, sir, we don't accept cash anymore." It's a uh, we 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 don't want to take that money in order to be touching everything, and uh, we don't know where it's all been. So we ask you to use your debit card or or whatever. Can you do that? And you go. I guess so. We're just in a communist society. Well, I'm going to do that. And, you know, you, you do your swiping your card. You do whatever it is. And you go back and you give the drink to your wife. Andrew, lo- oh, I didn't mean to say Andrew. It wasn't Andrew Johnson. But Andrew looks over at Crystal and uh, he gets, she passes the drinks down. And the kids suck them down. And, and what do we do, Andrew? We tell hey, kids, give me a drink of that. It's gone. <laughs> gone? What do you mean gone? I just bought it. It's gone. He spilt it all in the floor. You'll have to go get another one. I get another one. If I get I'm not, there's no way. I'm not buying another drink like that. It was $47.60. I'm not getting another drink. There's no way. And, and she says, well, your kids are hungry. We haven't eaten breakfast, and so we haven't eaten lunch, and we need something to eat. They haven't eaten all day. Well, they're not going to get anything here. <laughs> Might as well look underneath for some popcorn kernels because they're not eating here, right? No way. If that was forty-seven sixty for three cokes, there's no telling what a hot dog costs. No way I'm not doing it. But they're starving. Dad, give us something. No. Gang comes on and you go, is that Najee Harris down there or is that an ant? I'm so far away I can't even see. And you come back to church. And there he is. The guy that gave you the ticket. How'd the gang go yesterday? Oh, it was the greatest thing ever. We had a good time. Man, we have, thank you so much for giving me the ticket and all that. That's so great. And then you walk away going, I ain't ever going back. Right? That's what we do here. It's exactly what we do here. I don't like the chairs. I like the pews. Who in the world put these Tetris squares on the wall? These things distract me so bad. Why did they do them that way? Why didn't they just stack them straight up? They're uneven. Why why even do that? Why do we have TVs in the house of God? Dear Lord, why do we have TVs in the house of God? Don't they know that the TV is the devil? Don't they know that? What happened to the wooden pulpit that we've always had with the cross on it? Why do we got that metal thing up here? Why does Brother Steve have a glass of water? Why do these people bring this in? Why are these kids not in children's church? Why are this? Why? And before long, what are we doing? We're, we're in, we end up booing instead of being wooing. Instead of luring people to fall in love with Christ and his church, we end up talking about everything and angry and bitter and mad. And you say, who's guilty of that? Just look next to you. It's us. It's us. Everybody. Everybody. It's too hot in here in the summertime. Who in the world in their right mind would build a church with block walls? It's too cold in here in the wintertime. Who in the world in their right mind would build a church with block walls? Don't they know that they're freezing in the wintertime? And we're mad. Brandon sings this. Andrew sings that. If Steve goes to the piano, it's a song that's so old because they only call him back for an old song yeah that's I sit over here every Sunday going they don't ever use me anymore (laughs) three back surgeries and I can't even play the piano anymore next thing you know they'll lower it down and we'll be sitting at it because I can't stand behind it anymore (laughs) That's what we do if everybody in here is honest it's exactly what we do and we're not focused we are not focused on the on God and let me say something to you you got a free ticket you got an absolutely free ticket to come and worship. Amen. But yet we're complaining about the seating arrangements. We're complaining about the band and their performance and not being able to see our favorite running back. You know what I mean? We like it when Brother Steve carries a ball. Not we don't like it when Andrew carries a ball. Right? That's what we we do that. And let me say it it's not because we're evil, it's because we're fleshly. Yeah. It is. Because what happens to us is we get. There's these songs. Well, Andrew's singing, "Even so, come, Lord Jesus." And I don't know if you like it or not. It doesn't matter. I mean, he was doing it for the Lord. But when he gets in that song, the part of the song, of, "Like a bride," and he kicks in, I'm like, I like that. I love it. Want to stand up and chest bump people? I love it. But there's also songs that talk about that same thing. It Says, "What do we do while we're waiting?" He says, "Lord, we're waiting. You're coming soon." while we wait you know we know you're coming soon I was over there thinking about the other song Brother Brandon that says but until then my heart will go on singing until then with joy I'll carry on until the day my eyes behold that city until the day God calls me home all those go together and I can I can boo or I can woo and I've been guilty, very guilty, of not doing the right thing sometimes. Patty's getting ready and used to. I, I would look at her and I'd go, I absolutely love you in like sweatshirts, sweatpants, the softball stuff, the person that you are. Always, always told her that. She's like, you're crazy. And I was like, oh, you look the best. Always like that. Just, you think you look messed up, but you, you're hot. You look good. <laughs> I'm serious. It's my life. I can say it. You can't, but I can <clears throat> and then she gets all dolled up, and what do I do? Where have you been? I mean, does it literally take that long for you to get ready? We've got to be here at a certain time. What's going on? And then I end up treating my wife, which is my bride, and end up booing her when she was actually preparing for a date or for a special time. We're all guilty of that. The Bible says he's coming quickly, and that We need to be the one, the spirit and the bride. We need to be so contagious out there, not with COVID, but we need to be so contagious with wooing people that people are drawn to you. That when you talk about Jesus, people just, I want more of that. When you talk about church... I want more of that. I want more of that. But because of our attitude sometimes, it's not that way. Here's the last couple of things. Jesus gives us a final warning. We're going to close. Jesus gives us a final warning. I know that y'all think that but it's late and stuff. But if you stop and think for a moment, in California, it's two hours earlier, so we're still doing, doing good. <clears throat> Look at verse number 18. He says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Once again, God does what? He shows the final authority of the word. When we look at this, he says, no man should add to or take away from the reading of this word. It's not talking about in translating the word propitiation into another word. It's talking about you should not take away from what God has declared as truth, you should not take away what God has declared as truth. And he even uses there an illustration that the plagues of the Bible, talking about just like the pharaohs and all the false kings of the earth, they worshipped idols of gold and silver and all those other things. He even uses this illustration to show them that, look, if you're going to follow them, then you're going to receive the same judgment and condemnation that they did. He said, and if you take away or add to the reading of the words of this book, you, your part out of the book of life would be taken away. You say, what is that? You remember we talked about that God's predestinated plan for all people is that they would be saved. It wasn't that God chooses to save Randy and chooses not to save Brent and chooses to save Laura and chooses not to save Josh. God has chosen all people to repent and to be saved. But if you choose not to accept him, if you choose not to accept him, then your name will be blotted out of the book of life, which was called the Lamb's Book of Life. And he says, if you're living in this manner where you'll add to and take away from this word, you never had a part with me. Your names will be blotted out of the book of life. It's a final warning. See, what happens is this is what moves moves people today. People get excited, and when emotions start getting tied together, when emotional things start roaring and moving in your life, and the service starts moving in such a a way like or even prayer time, or even a dream or a vision that God's given you, you get on that, and you start talking about these visions, talking about the dreams and stuff like that, and then if it doesn't add up to the Word of God, I've got to tell you, you didn't get that dream or that vision from God. You didn't get that from him. If it doesn't tie up to his word and it goes contrary to his word, it's just it's no good. You've got to understand that visions and voices may have their place, but God directs us to his word every time. That's why he pulls us back to the book over and over. And listen to these final words. He says in verse 20, he says, He which testifies these things saith. Let's break down these words. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You see that? Let's break it down and look at it, Brother Brandon, come on. Let's break it down and look. He says, first of all, he says, surely I come quickly. We need to be ready. He has, in the last statement of this book, Brother Reggie, he has put us on ready. He says, you need to be ready because I can come at any moment, and I'm coming quick. The next thing that we see, John says what? Amen. Amen is not when a preacher's doing good, and you want to ag him on and go, boy." That's not what an amen is. An amen means let it be. I've had preachers preach before and and been in revival and camp meeting people up there talking about there's people dying and going to hell every day and the whole people go, Amen and I'm sitting there going they don't even know what they're saying they Amen so much they don't even know what they're talking about yeah, yeah, sinners are going to hell every day Amen Amen means let it be let it not be that sinners are going to hell every day Let it not be. Understand what you're saying. And if you do understand what you're saying, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. And John said, let it be. He said, Lord, let it be. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. i got to get ready. Or wait, 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 wait. Craig's not ready yet. Casey's not ready yet. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. No? He said, surely I come quickly. And John in faith said, amen. John said, let it be. You say, what do you mean? He said, okay. If you're coming quickly and it's your will, then I won't get in your way. Look at the next phrase he said, even so. That's two words, but that is huge in what we're talking about this morning. Even so. What does John say when he says even so? What if Jesus would have said, surely I'll come quickly, and John said, let it be. And Jesus answered back and said, but what about the tribulation? That all of Jewish brothers and sisters will die, a lot of them through the tribulation. A lot of the Gentiles would not come to me in the tribulation time. Know that my judgment's going to come. Are you really sure? Think about it. The seals opened up, the trumpets blown, the bowls of wrath poured out on the earth. John said this He said, even so. He said, even so, even through it all. Even so, whatever you... John, you can be no more like Jesus than what do what John is saying right now. Seriously, you you can't be any closer to who he is. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane is what the word means. Jesus was in that garden, and they were in a lowly olive press. They were seeking a place to go and pray, and Jesus would go there often. And in that wonderful garden of all those olive trees, there was a... Garden. There was an olive press in that garden, and those disciples went in there. And Jesus said, you stay here, and we're going to go this way. And he got James and John, and he said, we're going yonder. And they went out, Brother Reggie, a little farther. And Jesus looked at them and said, Brent said, stay awake. Stay awake. Pray that you enter not into temptation. He said, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. And indeed, but the flesh is weak. He said, pray that you enter not in temptation. You know what Jesus was saying? Pray for me in this time that I need you. And the Bible says Jesus went a little farther. And as Jesus went a little farther, the Bible says he fell on his face before God and he cried out, Abba. Abba is the word father. It's actually the word daddy. He said, if this cup is able to pass from me. He looked into that cup that he knew he was going to die on the cross. Knew that that had to be the way. That it had to be a horribly messy death. Horrible. This, in our terminology, he was going, this is the way? This? He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let it not have to be like that. Let it pass from me. But Jesus did what? Nevertheless, but, not my will, but yours be done. He said, if that's the way it has to be, then that's the way it has to be. And we get this image of Jesus, sweat pouring off of him as great drops of blood. And you say, no way, an absolute way. It says he was in such agony in that garden that there's an actual term for it in the medical field that's called hematidrosis. It actually means that the sweat glands... Being in agony, the sweat glands open up so wide that the capillaries, the small ends of blood vessels that distribute out, the capillaries will crack and they will open and they will mix with that sweat and it will be a dingy, bloody mess. And you can look it up. Even people in certain psych wards and other things that they're in such agony and in such grief that that can happen. And Jesus, Luke, the Dr. Luke, is the only one of the Gospels that described it this way and he said that his sweat became his great drops of blood. Brother Butch, Jesus was in agony praying over that. And he was pleading with the Father. But he had enough, listen, he had enough of humanity, Brother Bill, to know that was going to be horrible to go through. But he had enough of God to know. He said, Jack, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't say, I ain't doing it for him. I may do it for him, but I'm not doing it for him. He said, nevertheless, Father, I'm going to do it for you. Doesn't matter about him and him, I'm doing it for you. That's why 1 John 1 and 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Why? Because he's faithful to Jesus Christ who did what? Went to the cross for the Father. Amen? And now we look at this scripture. And we understand that John says the same thing. Jesus says, surely i come quickly. And John says, let it be. Really? Even so. No matter how or what it takes for you to get here, even so, he says, come. And he calls him, Lord Jesus, come. Think about those words. What would be your response? Oh, Lord, no, 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 don't do it yet. I, I want to do this. There's a big gang coming up this weekend. <laughs> or this is coming up. I want to do this. Would your answer be to the Lord? Okay. He says, "I'm coming quickly." Would you go? Let it be. Even so, no matter what, come. That's when you have to surrender to faith more than you surrender to your flesh. And look at how he closes. Look at the last words that God chooses to give us in our Bible. It ain't the end. You know what I mean? It's, it's not. It, it isn't. My book doesn't say Revelation 21, 22, verse 22, the end. It doesn't. Because, man, that would be like all that stuff you gave us <laughs> and just the end. Look at what he says The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you all. Amen. Amen. How many of us want grace versus how many of us extend grace? See, we want people to be gracious to us. But are we giving grace? The Bible says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And the way that I take that Is that it's to everyone. The grace of God. Everyone. I wrote here in my Bible. Grace. It's what's found in creation. It is found between the pages of this whole book. And it's even found at the end of all things here. Grace. It's what we need the most. But it's what we can't earn. Because it's only bestowed on us. Grace. I wrote. It's never wasted. It's only poured out and poured in. Grace is never wasted. So you may look and say, I'll do it for Brent, but I'm not doing it for Brandon. Then what you think is, is that it's a waste for you to pour grace into Brandon. It's wasteful. And you're no more being like the devil than at that time. Or like Judas Iscariot, which was the devil. Or possessed by the devil. He said, why did this woman bring this alabaster box in here and pour that on his feet? Don't she know that we could have sold that and got well over, you know, a hundred pence? We could have got a full year's wage. And she wasted it by pouring it on the feet of Jesus. He called her worship waste. And that's what we do when we look at other people in the church, and we're mad and we're frustrated and we're angry about every single thing that goes on, and we're booing instead of wooing. We're not being gracious, and we all need grace. <laughs> There's nobody. Look beside you. The one with the mask off, the one with the mask on, they, what they want in their life every day is they want grace. That's what they want. When they go to the doctor and hear a bad report, they want grace. When they're at the caskets, they want grace when they're out of money, they want grace. They want grace. We want grace. We want grace. We want grace. And the Lord says, it's to you all. Let it be. God gives us grace. Let me pray for you. Father, We.